Cool. So we're live. We are now live. I'll make sure that cool. the audio is not spiking. How you doing, Will? I'm good, AD. How are you doing, mate? I'm all right. I've got a coffee. All is all is good with the world. All is joyous. Yeah, I've I've just uh, smashed a coffee down. I've got water now because I've had <laughs> <laughs> I've had three this morning. It seems excessive. <laughs> and uh, this is my second one, so I'm, I'm good. You're going good. So uh, we we might as well uh, introduce you. I'll, uh, I'll I'll let I'll let you give a description. What for me? Of yourself. Yeah, go on. For me. Yeah. Ad Smith. Uh, games artist, games veteran, visual effects artist. Uh, Twenty five years games industry experience. Uh, international experience working at HB Studios and working for EA. Uh, career highlights, uh, working on Donkey Kong, was the first game back in 1994, uh, and then probably winning a BAFTA for GoldenEye in 98, for GoldenEye, when I was at Rare. Um, uh, other highlights would be getting my teaching qualification and writing a HND program getting commended on a, by Pearson for writing a HND program and getting recommendations uh, for running a topic degree from Holy University and getting students both onto MA programs and into the games industry at uh, in York. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, that's... Uh, How's that? Yeah, I mean, you know. It's uh, that's that's all right. I mean, I, <laughs> no, I'm kidding, man. It's insane. It's uh, it's so cool what you've uh, what you've achieved. So like, immediately off the back of that, I just like the main questions that spring to mind are things like uh, like when you're working on something like Goldeneye, um, mm. do you realize at the time that it's going to be the international like superstorm that it was, or was it sort of uh, uh, I guess developed in a in the mindset of like, oh, we hope this does well. No, honestly, it it was um, it was a it was very much under the radar. Um, even the directors at Rare didn't really hold much hope for it. They just saw it as a uh, uh, another game that they could do, and uh, they didn't hold much store by it. Um, it was pretty much a mismatch. The team was a pretty much of a mishmash of people. From other teams, um, and it was really under the direction of Martin Hollis that he actually uh, said, "I'd like to do this." Um, after his success on doing Killer Instinct, and uh, because he was pretty much the head of programming then, uh, back at back at Rare in, in at Twycross, uh, they let him they let him do it. So he picked up the license from Nintendo uh, that was given out by. Uh, uh, the people behind Bond uh, and the film, and uh, yeah, the only thing that that was going against it is that it was taking too long, um, and there was an all, all, almighty amount of pressure that was put on Harlow, Martin and the and the team to get it out with the film release, which which didn't happen, um, and then it was a big concern from Howard Lincoln uh, then as to when it might be released to sort of maximize maximize the sales. But that was that was um, that was a year late after the after the actual film came out. But it didn't didn't need to worry about it because the rest is history. So yeah, uh, well, I guess it's funny because it's 
you know, it, it, there was probably a lot of pressure to just be like, well, just put it out now. Just put out a, a finished version of it now. And yeah. if you had done, it would have probably just been one of those generic movie tie-in games that doesn't really gets made on a really short deadline and doesn't it have was. the same level of uh, gameplay that people are expecting. It was. It was, it was primarily it was going to come out like a, a, a linear game, very much like Time Cops. It was very much on rails, and it wasn't going to be uh, open world as it as it turned out to be. Um, and uh, all credit to Martin and the team, uh, they stuck by it, and that's the only that's the reason why Rare was so good. They weren't influenced by magazine and the pressures of uh, publications to release any content. They were very secretive in 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 that, and they they were good in that way because they took the pressure off the teams to make sure that they only released a good game and that's that that was the really good thing about being at rare is that they would they would only release a good game when it was complete and when it was finished yeah that's really that's really smart that's such a it must be such a hard balance to tread though you know because you want to as you say you want to sort of as the leads you want to shelter your team from all the stress of production um because yeah. you know no one creates their best work when they're stressed but uh, no no but that's where I, that, sorry, that's my dog. Sorry, there's a that, that's another. <laughs> What's that's your dog's name? Why, uh, Holly, just a sec. <laughs> Holly. Holly. I've seen photos of her. She, sorry, she's the they, golden um, lab, isn't she? Yeah, she's right. Yeah, these. Uh, um, the thing was that was another. There was another good uh, guy called Simon Farmer. He was our production manager, and he uh, did a lot of um, the sheltering for the team and making sure that that. He, that they were left to pretty much uh, do what they do what they needed to do to get to get the game into a finished state, and he was pretty much an unsung unsung hero as well. So uh, if it wasn't for Simon, and uh, he knew, I think he knew it was a good game because he was forever testing it and uh, uh, helping the guys with uh, QA with making sure that the levels and the gameplay worked well. So uh, yeah, Simon Simon was pretty important from that. Uh, that regard because you know tim and tim and chris were were also getting pressured by the executives from nintendo america uh, to say look there's a lot of money and and they were they were quite willing to uh, pull the plug on it but um it, they didn't think thankfully so yeah it's I, I imagine any great like any story of a game that did like amazingly well there was at least one point where they're like do we have to cut this do we have to call like pull the plug on it i don't know if you've heard the story of uh modern warfare the uh the game that made everyone make first person shooters for 20 years like yeah halfway through development halfway through their cycle they looked at their game and they went oh we have to start over we have to do everything again and mm. so they looked at their levels and they were like okay we can do half of these and because they started over and because they've done it again they made modern warfare but had yep. they just been like, oh, it's not worth the, the investment, we, we'll just call it here, then, you know, we wouldn't have had that showstopper. And I think it's yeah. sort of similar thing with uh, any any yeah. success story I've heard. There's at least one point where the, the, the leads are like, do we need to can it? Do we need to call our losses? Yeah, that's that, that's unfortunately the decisions down by uh, accountants. And unfortunately, there's a lot of those that are, are running in the games industry. When yeah. it comes to creativity and production, uh, that's that's the one, one good thing about this industry is you've got committed, dedicated gamers that want to produce 
really uh, good experience for game players. So, um, but the only thing that gets in the way of that are uh, accountants. Uh, what they <laughs> want to see is the amount of money that they're burning, and they can't see, they can't visualize the the quality and the and the production values that go into a finished game that comes to the market. And it's and and it's only when that it's released. Do they see the success that those dedicated people bring when when, when they have a finished title that comes to market? And uh, unfortunately, accountants can't see that. All they all they see is a balance sheet. Yeah, it's funny though, isn't it? Because without them, we would never get any games made ever. Like so, there's a there's sort of like a an antagonistic. And also, yeah. I think the deadlines that they impose on people sometimes forces creativity. Because I mean, you end up with like a Duke Nukem that's been developed for 19 years comes out and is just like broadly slated yeah, it's, yeah. uh yeah. you need someone well, to be same... like you're gonna run out of money next month so you've got to put it out <laughs> well the, the same thing happened with gta i mean they were they were nearly at the 250 million mark for gta uh and they were they were gonna pull the plug and uh they said they can't they can't justify spending that amount of money uh for that type of game for that development they didn't see the if the, they run a real, they were re- running a real risk of of, of not get making their money back on that product, and luckily they they stuck with it and saw it through, and and it came to be one of the biggest uh, uh, grossing games ever at two, two I think it was two point three billion in its opening weekend. So it's mad, isn't it? Yeah. It's it mad is mad when and, you think about the amount did, of money. And they did the same thing with Red Dead Redemption too. So uh, well done for them. Yeah, I mean, uh, we won't we won't talk about Red Dead Two. We'll just avoid that whole dev cycle story. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's mad. So, I uh, like uh, what what was your uh, impetus to to come to Falmouth, where you where we met? Because uh, obviously, you've had this long, uh, effective career. Um, you made some amazing games that have done really, really well. Um, yeah, and then you've uh, ended up. Way down in the boot of England, uh, in 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 Falmouth University, teaching games art, and yeah. uh, that's how we met. And I'm um, just wondering what 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 drew you what drew you away from the uh, the, the city from Doncaster, yeah, from <laughs> sunny Doncaster. Um, <laughs> no, don't get me wrong, I was doing I was doing really really well there, um, but um, it's like any job that you do. I, I've got to be a bit careful here because I've got to be a bit professional. Oh yes. Um, but it's like uh, any walk of life. You're going to find uh, uh, hurdles that you have to cross uh, in your career. And I was at a point where I'd invested a lot of time and effort into getting a course up and running, uh, rebuilding a course once I, le- I had previously left um, because of uh, lack of investment and lack of um, uh, support, really. And I experienced the same thing again, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this, this time I did it properly. I made sure that uh, the students that I left and the course that I left was in a good state. Um, but because of um, uh, restrictions on my uh, profession, professionalism, uh, to put it in a nutshell, uh, I saw uh, I, I wasn't, there was no future, future for, the, for me there. Yeah. because of the management that was in place and i made it having discussed with my wife i made a decision because she just told me just to leave because it was affecting my health and affecting my 
uh, myself personally that I I needed I I, need, I said I needed to get out. So yeah. Um, hence the reason I applied for the the role that was down in Falmouth. Uh, I should have applied for it the year before, but I didn't because I wanted to see the the uh, work uh, of the students get through. And I was so glad I did because um, they ended up uh, doing really well in the Grants and Games competition that I was running up at uh, Doncaster. And they were very successful in getting into MA programs at Sheffield and at Teesside. So, That's uh, awesome. Yeah. And then you came down to Falmouth and you did the exact same thing. <laughs> well, yeah, but that's, I mean, that just, uh, that's just me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a dedicated, uh, I've been in this industry a long time and I've been teaching coming up for eight years now. And don't get me wrong, it was a, it was a big career uh, decision uh, to change into education. I was uh, going into education when there was a lot of uncertainty in the, in the UK with with the games industry when we'd come down uh, back in the early 2000s when we had 33,000 people working in the games industry coming down uh, uh, when I returned back from Canada that, that there was only what uh, 10 10,000 people mm. having uh, having worked in the luckily they're all going up so it's really good for you guys at the moment so your skills are really much in demand and um, it was a it was a drop in in salary. It was a it was a case of me being able to retrain uh, to get those teaching skills so that I could uh, bring my industry experience into the coursework and into the curriculum design to make sure that it was uh, industry related. Uh, hence the reason why I got uh, in the um, validation panels with uh, Pearson and with Hull that I got commendations for the level of uh, curriculum design that I got uh, implemented on the courses so that that, that stood me in good stead um, uh, so yeah yeah that's that's I mean it's 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 really inspirational to hear you know because you've gone it sounds to me like your desire is to just pay forward all of this amazing experience that you've gained and uh and it's it's uh, it's an admirable uh, an admirable pursuit, right? Like educating people who are trying to uh, walk in the footsteps that you've already uh, trod. And I think um, it's it's quite funny because you know you say uh, you released Donkey Kong uh, Country, wasn't it in uh, yep. ninety four? Yeah, that was my first game. Yeah. Yeah. So your first game coincided with the beginning of my life. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah, but uh, what was I going to say? I mean, if you're talking to a person that is, uh, is a testament to the uh, art, and, art and design education that this, this country provides, um, I studied uh, right from uh, leaving school. Uh, I didn't have a good school experience. Uh, the school system didn't work for me, but the further education experience that I had was much better for me. The college, the college uh, system, mm -hmm. um, that I went through. I mean, I, I, I wasn't very ac academic, but I was very practical and, and artistic. And, uh, um, I failed first time getting into art school. Um, mm. uh, I didn't have enough work. My school, uh, uh, put a lot of my work on these youth school tours that go across the country showcasing student, uh, uh, school work. And they managed to lose all my work, which I was really not happy about. What? Hence the reason why, yeah. 
That is months. unbelievable. That is so yeah. irresponsible in a time where it's yeah. like, I imagine there was no, there was no backups. You hadn't had copies no. made. No, no, no. They lost it. And so when I tried to get into art college the first time around. Is someone drilling at your end? Sorry, no, it's the washing machine. Going oh, okay. With, 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 sorry, is it coming through badly? <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty audible, but it's okay. It's okay. Okay, sorry about that. I can't, I can't get around it, unfortunately. No, that's um, all good. Uh, the uh, yeah, they they lost it uh, from uh, uh, the my interview, and and hence I I couldn't get in. So I had to do a a, a diploma in building studies uh, just to get round uh, round it for a year, and I, I had to do a full year. A full year for um, um, of doing of doing uh, of doing um, uh, building studies. Just to, sorry, I had to do a full year of, of doing my portfolio again to mm. then re resubmit it again for the following year <laughs> um, to try and get because I wasn't happy doing building studies because I wanted to be an architect. I thought, oh, I know. I'll be, uh, because I've got really good um, drafting skills and I was really good at technical drawing, I'll, I'd, I'd become a draftsman and, and do uh, and become a, an architect. Mm. Little did I know, um, well, good that I did, uh, that I, I went into the art and design school because you can't beat it. All that foundation training of um, uh, foundation uh, practices and, and art fundamentals were, were the best thing that I did. Uh, I went right through college getting my uh, diploma in three-dimensional design i then went and uh did a hnd at sheffield uh doing product and packaging design i could have got a job then i could have been a packaging designer then uh working for boots or working for fison's a different uh, life <laughs> as a packaging designer but i couldn't see my life with uh, a scalpel and a steel ruler in my hand for the for my uh for my career so i but everybody was telling me then, because um, I could have gone and worked for those people. They said, oh, get your degree, get your degree. Um, so I stayed in and did a, my uh, degree at Sheffield in product and packaging design. And uh, it wasn't, a, it, it was okay. It wasn't the best experience I, I had um, because the, you, you, you guys are quite fortunate because my experience of when I did presentations, we used to get slaughtered. We get slaughtered by our colleagues and we get slaughtered by the lecturing staff and absolutely pulled apart. Mm. Um, we're not like that <laughs> at all at Falmouth. We're very much trying to encourage you and develop you and build you up and not pull you down. Uh, so that's one thing I learned on the degree program uh, is that it's a horrible experience trying to uh, present your work and talk about your work. So I know exactly how you guys feel. Um, but when I completed the uh, degree program, uh, it was right in the middle of the recession in, in the in the nineties, and there was no you know, graduate jobs jobs available. And and this is this is this is the key point. Um, it was good that I went and stuck in the education system because probably right now all you guys are thinking about, well, what what's this corona? What's this crisis going to do for my career? Um, so what I did with the recession is that I stayed in the system for a year. I went off and got uh, a place at Bournemouth at the National Centre for Computer Animation. Uh, and I, I went from marker drawings and presentation sheets to a keyboard and mouse and had to learn Pascal programming using a computer graphic animation language by a professor down in Bournemouth who was at Teesside studying a, a master's degree in computer visualization and animation. What year was that? 
That was oh, 91. 91. So that was uh, that was pre Maya, wasn't it? That's when it was yeah, still Elias yeah. and Wavefront and there was, that, before the yeah. SG merger. Oh, that was the that was the golden years for me when uh, when we when I when I graduated with the MA, I got five jobs offered to me then. Uh, oh, the... <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that so that, so this is the good thing about a master's is that uh, don't get me wrong, you're on a really good course uh, at Falmouth, and you you guys have got an already a, a good reputation just from being on that course. But uh, uh, if you haven't got a plan, if you've got a plan. Uh, you need to have a backup. And I had a backup in the fact that I was applying for jobs. Uh, I couldn't get any jobs because of the recession. Uh, but I had a place at Bournemouth available to me because I was the first. There was two of us who were industrial designers because they mainly had fine art and illustrators going to the going to Bournemouth on the on the master's course. Um, but we were the, myself and my good friend Noel were uh, industrial designers and they were really pleased they got, they got two industrial designers onto the program. Mm, it must and, be a completely uh, different skill set that you guys were bringing oh to the rest God, of it. Was a, it was a baptism of fire. Uh, we were so shocked and stunned because none of us, neither of us uh, knew programming. Uh, we, were, we were diving into Pascal programming and uh, having to learn uh, animation language uh, using this software on massive HP 1000 workstations. Uh, <laughs> And there was a whole lab. We were in the lab, and we were staying in there till what? Uh, we were doing twelve, fifteen-hour days just to try and get up to speed with everything. Yeah. Uh, it was only a year, but there was three. But there was three semesters, and we we were built up. We were doing small projects initially, uh, but then for our masters, we 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 were we were really lucky. We we got a live project from the university to do a simulation ride for rediffusion. And uh, we did a Duro Tours simulator. You may you may have heard of it. You're probably too young for that. I haven't heard of that one. No, I did. Um, the only reason I know about the Elias thing and the and the Wavefront merger and stuff is I did a bunch of research for my uh, research paper. Yeah. Uh, about when is Maya going to be killed by Houdini? And uh, I, it was fascinating. It was crazy. Like I didn't realize that it was like three companies that came together. I oh yeah. I also didn't realize quite how expensive Houdini used to be. But I imagine, yep. uh, in comparison to having to program those simulations, Houdini is just like staggering. Yeah, I mean, program, uh, Houdini's been around for over twenty-five years now. I know it's been. It's come, it's come a long way. They've been in relate in the same sort of situation that 3ds Max has been in is that it's been bolted on and plugged in. But they've developed their architecture because it's all node-based architecture, whereas 3ds Max isn't. So the mm. back end of Houdini is really, really quite stable now because it's uh, been able to be uh, developed and, and built up from a plug-in plug-in basis whereas uh, 3ds max has been very much bolted together on old architecture which they've had to fight and fudge uh, because it need needs a whole rewrite really mm. um, but alien i mean my my career took off really when i left the masters and i started at rare because i was pretty much thrown in at the deep end uh, having to use power, uh, power animator from Alias Wavefront, and I was just basically given a manual, yeah, yeah, and I said, well, "There you go, off you go." And I was like, "Okay." <laughs> so um, I read this manual, I ingested this manual, uh, and uh, I became pretty 
pretty much a, a super user of the software back then uh, for Power Animator. So I have really fond memory, mem memories of using uh, Power, Power Animator up to version 9.7, I think it was. Um, but we were using serious amounts of equipment, though. I mean, the licenses for a Power Animator there were were uh, about £15,000 per license. Ooh. Yeah, spicy costs. Although you yeah. bought you bought them back then, didn't you? It wasn't like an, a, a subscription yeah. thing. Yeah, I mean, you're talking uh, computer graphics back then were was anything uh, around a thousand pounds a second uh, for anything that was generated using CGI. A thousand pounds a second. Yeah, yeah. Well, in terms of just like electronic electricity costs and licensing that, and stuff. Or... That, that that's for frame rates. A lot of a lot of the work back then was all pre-rendered graphics. Yeah. There's okay. Nothing, there's nothing on the three on the on the polygon side with the uh, 3D side. So a lot of it um, was all pre-rendered. Uh, we were competing when I was doing the MA when we were bringing out Duro tours. Um, uh, what was it? Terminator 2 was coming out, and they did about what four minutes, just over four minutes of uh, CGI for Terminator 2. Mm. And we were bringing out four minutes, 15 seconds for the Duro tours. Uh, so it was, we were quite uh, cutting edge back then, even down at an educational level with us outputting uh, simulation uh, and pre-rendered graphics for a simulation ride. So uh, that's pretty much why uh, I, the, our previous year and the year and the, the year after we were there, was that the students at Bournemouth uh, were really quite um, um, highly regarded because a lot of them went up uh, into London working in the visual effects studios there mm. as well as to, to gain the first uh, uh, real big game studios like Ocean and Psygnosis uh, in, in the UK. But uh, guys went out to um, uh, LA and stuff working for Sony and... Uh, um, what's the other one uh, blur and stuff like that so mm. and uh, so then you know you you work you work for rare for eight, five years five years five years five years yeah yeah and then is it you went over to canada yep well no i went and worked for 10 years at core ah. core design for 10 years uh i was working pretty much when i left uh when i left rare i went and worked for core mainly um first first uh, six months was just doing marketing stuff so i was basically uh, helping uh, there was about three or four of us work, working with uh the team uh utilizing the graphics to pass to a load of magazines and give them a load of adver advertising material so i was ma mainly touching up lara <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, for the oh. first six months, for the first six months, and uh, uh, it's true. I used to have to in, in uh, I used to have to increase her chest size, along with uh, uh, a couple of other artists, to make sure that the magazine articles look good. Uh, <laughs> so you're responsible for giant polygon-breasted Lara I wasn't, Croft. I, I wasn't the only one. There was a, <laughs> there was a team of yeah. us. We were all. We were, <laughs> it took multiple men. Like, so it... <laughs> to, uh, and it wasn't our decision it was down to adrian my nemesis okay uh, the, the other adrian smith who uh who was jeremy's brother um uh it was down to his saying oh no make a chest bigger uh, that, 
uh, and stuff like that. So it wasn't art. We were trying to be artistic and, and be as complimentary as possible, but it was Adrian. Uh, the other Adrian Smith. Um, it's like increase that slider, make that make that go to twelve. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it, it wasn't our decision; it was his. But yeah, I was ten years at ten years at Core, and the first game that I worked with them was on Fighting Force Two. Um, working with those guys, um, we were using a, uh, an in-house engine then, uh, and it was pretty good. Um, Neil, Neil, one of the programmers, he was uh, responsible for coming up with the Fighting Force engine, uh, and he did a really good job on that. Uh, again, we were just cut short. This is where the, I got uh, the first introduction to pressures from magazines and from producers and from uh, publishers work that we were put under to rush the game out. And that game was rushed out, really. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I had a few ca- ga- games that were cancelled as well when I was there. That must uh, be fun. <laughs> we, were wor- we were working on a, re- a game called Race Nation. I've still got the design document now. Uh, we virtually had it. We were virtually working on that for a year, and then I just decided to can that when, right when we had a playable demo, um, and it was a cross between uh, uh, what was it called, uh, Ridge Racer and uh, what's the one? Wipeout? No, it's, it's a bit like Race Nation and and something City, uh, but but it got canned in the end. Um, and then we were all put onto the Tomb Raider because Tomb Raider was all having problems back then. Uh, we were then tasked to pick up what people didn't want to do uh, on Tomb Raider or on Angel of Darkness. And because we were meant to do a follow-up on, follow on Fighting Force, but uh, I just didn't want, like, didn't, didn't want, to, didn't want to do that. Um, and then we were sort of trying to work on a... a the uh, Curtis character that was in the Tomb Raider Angel of Darkness game. So Murty was also trying to come up with uh, an alternative uh, 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 IP for Curtis mm. to run alongside um, uh, the Lara character. But that didn't come into fruition either. Mm. So uh, we were then, because of all the problems that were being caused on Angel of Darkness, that we were, the whole company was then thrown onto it because it missed its, its, first, its first deadline. And that caused all sorts of problems as well, because uh, there was a lot of mixed culture there. There were a lot of split teams, and that, and the politics uh, in the whole place was 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 uh, difficult, mm. especially when it came to the work towards the end when when Jeremy got got fired. Uh, the the writing was on the wall that the company was in in trouble, and and that's when Idis Idas took over and. And uh, the, comp- the company was pretty much split in two. So, yeah. And that's when I left. I, I left. I went and worked at, worked at Full Fat. Prior to that, I worked at uh, uh, Bellfruit Games. That was really good, actually. Mm. Uh, what did they make? They made gambling games. I, I was... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had a bit of time out because uh, of all the uh, stress that, that the last couple of years had took on me at, at, at core and uh, I had a bit of a break uh, I worked at two years for Bell Fruit I was pretty much in charge of doing their content for deal or no deal mm. uh, I was really quite pleased because I ended up doing a whole game I virtually uh, did a, a slots game that I pretty much produced all the content and artwork for 
that's up on my um, CG Society page still for uh, an uh, aquatic uh, game. I pretty much did it, pulled it out in in, in three months. Oh, that's which, uh, that's cool. Which which uh, held me in good high regard with the Bell Fruit Company. But uh, honestly, the games that they were doing were soul destroying. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you trade yeah. one kind of stress for another. It's like, yeah. oh, I can't deal with the uh, the the workload at this other place. Oh, I can't deal with the moral quandary of this other place. <laughs> Don't get me wrong; the people I worked with were fantastic. They were they were they were wonderful people. But the uh, the the work that I was that I was having to do was mind-bogglingly boring. Yeah. <laughs> it was. It was just, uh, and, and I could do whatever I want there. I could, I could work on all my personal stuff as well. But I, the the company got into a bit of uh, uh, financial trouble, and they were they were making people people redundant. So I thought, oh, the writing's on the wall here. So I thought I better start looking. Uh, and then I managed to get a job at Full Fat Games in Coventry, mm-hmm. and I thought. Uh, my best. They didn't want me to go, but I, I, I sort of. There was some really uh, uh, a lot older chaps than me there, and they, they needed, they needed the job there more than what I, than what I did. Mm. So uh, I sort of sacri- sacrificed myself for there, for those, for a couple of guys there that needed, that, that, that needed the job really. So oh. yeah, and then I went to Full Fat, where I backward engineered the particle system for the. Uh, Nintendo, uh, what was it? Consoles and names for the Wii. That's the it. Wii. Okay, yeah. The so Wii. we're there now. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, there was no manuals. There was no in- manuals in English for the for the console. So I had to pretty much uh, uh, reverse engineer the particles, particle editor, because they would they had nobody on the on the particle uh, or the special effects that they needed on the game. So I, I saved myself a job role there at full fat because nobody knew how to do do it really. So uh, <laughs> that, that helped me in good stead really. Yeah, God. I mean, like VFX is supposedly quite underserved at the moment in a world where everyone, like, you know, the roles of game development are, are well well stated and well known. I imagine back back when the Wii was out, it was uh, even even rarer. <laughs> Well, it, well, it was a, it was for any game there, for any console, whether you're on the on the Wii, on the on the PlayStation. A lot of the effects work was pretty much left towards the end end of the game, which was uh, uh, I was quite surprised because there was nobody really at, uh, at Rare that was doing the. I mean, I was a, a, an environment artist, and you were basically doing boxes and textures a lot of the time, and. Uh, a lot of the level design needed some sort of dynamics or some sort of uh, effects work to make you know to bring those levels alive. And mm-hmm. it was it was then that I sort of sort of was teaching myself how to do uh, some of the visual effects work that the game, that the film industry was doing, and sort of trying to bring that into the into the games that we were, pro- we were producing. So I sort of tried that out on doing that for the effects work with Killer Instinct, with doing some of the fireballs and the ice ice uh, effects and stuff like that on killer instinct mm. um and then i brought that over into when i did uh, goldeneye uh, so i was pretty much uh, uh the only person at rare at the time was that was doing other than kevin that was doing the effects work for it so um, out of uh, how many people roughly right back in the early stages of the early parts of the company there was before i got there there was only really about uh 
30 to 40 people that started at Rare. So I came in at 92. Uh, there must have been about 50. I think I was about, there's about 50, 60 people there. Mm. And they were constantly building up uh, the company because they were pretty much bankrolled by Nintendo. Um, so, yeah, I think there's now around about 250, 300 people now. At, yeah, they're pretty massive. Uh, rare. Yeah, they're a massive concern by Microsoft, really, now with Sea of Thieves. So Yeah, yeah, that's uh, the, the water in Sea of Thieves is just phenomenal <laughs> it's surreal how good the water looks in that game yeah 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 it's good i've not played it myself though i've not played I've it played. either yeah although it's yeah, funny yeah. um you know the uh the real-time vfx forum yeah uh yeah i <laughs> I'm, I'm in their discord and i like like last night for example i don't know if you've heard of the name andreas glad no he's uh if you start doing some Houdini tutorials about how to get stuff into engine, he is going to be the first person that like pops up that you're like, Oh my goodness, the production value on this. Um, okay. And uh, it's quite funny. Really. I've been posting in the real time VFX and like his tutorials and he's responding with like, Oh yeah, you just need to do this or that. And it's like, what? But yeah, they they were all uh, playing sea of thieves in the, uh, in the discord the other day. I'm like, damn, I need to, for my career, I need to get sea of thieves. <laughs> chill out with these VFX artists in the game chat channel. It's uh it's funny how Excellent. accessible the whole VFX industry is, you know, or just everyone, I suppose. But like, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, my, yeah, yeah. You know, Josh Froud. Yes. Yeah. So he, uh, he bought a course off of a really excellent, I can't remember who it was. It might've been like Raphael or something. I can't remember the person who it was, but he sent them a, a message like, you know, with a little receipt saying, I did definitely buy your course. And yeah. And they like gave him like personal credit on his work. And it's just like, you think these people are uh, unreachable, but a lot of them, oh, it no, seems no, are no. very, uh, very, not just open, but they're, they're quite happy to, uh, to help people yeah. out. Absolutely. No, we are. Yeah, we, yeah. They, that's the really cool thing about the, this industry is that they want to nurture, they want to uh, bring people on, and, and make sure that they have really uh, uh, fulfilling uh, careers because it is a fantastic career to get into. Uh, but it's you, you've got to be committed, you've mm. got to be dedicated for it. Um, I mean, you, 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 you must all be getting sick of me for my posts that keep coming up on Facebook. Even, <laughs> even Andy, even Andy's saying it. I'm probably the only lecturer who's probably keeping the Facebook uh, channel alive. I mean, I so. call you the general because you are amazing. <laughs> like, I know you said like at Falmouth they have a very encouraging nature, but like, no one exemplifies that better than than you do. You always wandering around the, like when when we were allowed to spend time near other human beings. Like you were always wandering around and just like sticking your nose in and being like, "What are you working on? You should yeah, you should enter this contest. You should go do this. You should, uh, you know, you encouraged a bunch of students to enter the games and grads competition that I don't think yeah. anyone even knew about before you showed up. Yeah, and uh, and then lo and behold, like two of them came third in the environment thing with like yeah. over eighty contributions it's actually crazy yeah yeah no it's good there's all these there's all these opportunities for out there for you out there um uh that, that you should you should get involved with um and shouldn't be afraid of getting involved with because it stands you in good credit because it, it is competitive out there yeah and, and you need and you need to understand how competitive it is um but that's a good thing because it, it will put or push you and and it'll your, your work will improve uh, because of it because you'll get better and better and you'll know what to work on and you'll know what what uh, shortcuts you can do to achieve things and that's and that's 
that's the thing that's the thing that gets you really uh, inspired and interested in in the work that you produce and you can get better and better and better because of it yeah yeah yeah, yeah um, it's uh, it's really fun it's such a and like you say it's like the the speed at which learning happens when you're forced to work on things like a project for the grads and games or uh, a submission to a competition etc yeah. it really forces you to quantify everything and and then uh, and break it down into the the parts because it's very easy to be like oh i want to design a spaceship or something and it's like that's too vague that's way too vague a goal it's like i need to make this spaceship for this thing at this time and it's done then and i think that and then also having all the different people around you who are also trying to make a different i don't know a design for a spaceship or whatever and you're looking at them and being like oh wow they've done so much more in that regard i should look into that and oh i need to research this and you can ask people for advice and it's yeah it's a yeah, but it snowballs. It's great because yeah. then you then you're helping and driving and pushing each other, as well as getting really good uh, industry advice from yourself and from other people and from external people that that you're in contact with, and it's really it's really beneficial. For sure, it's um it's funny though because it's uh, I among my cohort there's a lot of people who are very uh, nervous about like entering competitions or putting their work online, and it's uh. The point is, is you're only as good as you are right now, right? So you can't, you can't force yourself to be any better. So why not share it and see what people think? You might be, yeah. you might be further along than you thought, or you might be not as far along as you thought. But either way, it's good to get like that humbling or that that gratification. It's you're not going to get it unless you put yourself out there and, and try. No, no. But as you can see, I'm putting you on on the Facebook and and showing uh, uh, the work that the students that have entered seeing how, how much response they're getting from the work that they're doing uh, just from the actual feedback from people liking the work from Twitter, from LinkedIn, from Facebook, uh, just in relation to the rookies, yeah? Mm-hmm. And you get the same sort of uh, effect when when you're entering into the grads and games. So it's, it's really beneficial. But what's really good about both these uh, graduate competitions is that it's just not open to final year students. It's open up it's open to first year and second year students as well. Yeah. So they, they can gauge themselves and they can gauge their progress not only from the first year, but into the second year and into the third year as well, where they can see those improvements being made. Yeah, it's kind of, uh, it's the whole, you can, you can look at people who are where you want to be, but it can be kind of intimidating, right? It's the, uh, it, I call it like a it's almost like a stand up comedy paradigm where people always talk about how, you know, people look at the greats and they go, oh, I'm not that funny. I could never do that. But if you go to an open mic night and look at everyone else who's an amateur, you're like, oh, I could be that bad. Like I could I could do that. And it's and it's not necessarily that you're, you know, looking at everyone else's work and caught, like thinking, oh, that's terrible. But it's more just encouraging of like, OK, yeah, everyone else who's in the same position as me is is doing similar things to me. And it's not it's not quite such the intimidating bar right it's like well i could i could maybe get something together that's like like that and uh and it's encouraging because you know you share that work and then people give you advice and they look at it and and you look at other people's work and you give them advice and you see or maybe they're one step ahead of you and you can ask them how did you do that and like someone who's 20 years ahead of you might not necessarily be able to quantify quite so easily how they've done something because they've not just had to make a bunch of revelations about how to do it. Whereas someone who's a year down the road is way more capable of being like, Oh, you're going to, you're going to run into this stumbling block and you're going to hit that hurdle. But you know, here's the little tip and trick to get through that bit. Whereas someone who's 20 years deep is like, they might not remember that hurdle or that, that slip up that they could fall into. Yep. 
listen, when I was at school, I was told that I was never going to amount to much. Oh, I, lucky you. One of, one of my teachers You've got to get that. And, turned around and said that the, the, the most I'll make out in my career would be a, a technical draftsman. That's, that's all I'll achieve. And that's... I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy with that. So that's the reason why I left school and I went to college. Yeah. And uh, I worked, don't get me wrong. It's a hard industry that you're going to go into, get into, and it takes a lot of work and dedicated work. But I built that work up from uh, when I was at college, especially in the latter years when I was doing the MA, uh, because we were doing stupid hours on the MA. Mm. And, it, and, it, and it served me well because we were doing stupid hours when it came to when I was working at Rare. I was doing about 15, 16 hour days. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to. I don't want to scare you guys uh, now. But you, you won't. You won't go into that sort of environment. Uh, you'll be working. Uh, don't get me wrong. You'll be. You'll have some probably some crunch times that you might have to have to do, depending on the projects that you work on. But nothing to the level of pressure that we were under at Rare uh, back then. Yeah. And a lot of the industries um, uh, uh, realize that that you can't sustain that sort of work rate because uh, you'll just burn out. And a lot of us did burn out. Um, yeah, and then you so, lose all uh, your qualified staff, and then it's like, oh, now we're yeah. uh, back to square yeah. zero. It's yeah. funny, though. I mean, it's even doing third year, I've had days where I've had to do, like, 12, 13-hour days, and it's just, it's not, like you say, it's not sustainable. It doesn't, it doesn't, but sometimes it is necessary. So Sometimes it is necessary. Sometimes it is not. I'm not going to say it's not, <laughs> it's not necessary. Sometimes it is necessary. Um, and it's good to sometimes work under that pressure because you can see how much you can achieve in that pressure. But you've got to have the rest as well, uh, and have a break break from it as well. But you've got to manage that because if you have too long a break, then you start having to relearn those skills and relearn those processes because your brain it will forget them, and you have to maintain and exercise those those uh, practices to make sure you can keep those production uh, uh, pipelines and make sure you improve uh, them again uh, as uh, software and hardware changes in the future. So you're, you're, you're going to, I'll tell you now, you're going to be on a constant learning path because software, the technology and the hardware is constantly changing in the industry that you're going into. Because yeah, I've been sure. through three, three software uh, update changes. Uh, I've been through uh, no end of hardware update changes. So um, you're going to find that as well. So don't be too precious about uh becoming an expert in such a uh, in one particular piece of software you need to become uh not just a generalist but you need to become a uh, an advocate of being able to utilize the best tools to get the best work out that makes your portfolio and your work that you're producing look really good at that time yeah i mean that's why i'm i'm learning houdini at the moment is uh it's not it's not easy by any stretch of the imagination but i can see the 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 um the benefit of it and even though it's not uh i don't know it's not it's industry standard in certain bits of the game's development pipeline i i understand but it's not it's not quite ubiquitous no. um and no. i did some primary research on it actually and it's quite funny because uh out of the people i asked and i got like 22 responses there was uh only like uh i think it was 30 percent of people were using houdini and i asked like the real-time vfx forum so like that's going to be like an artificially inflated um, thing. But like with the, I mean, I don't know if you followed the hive, if you've had a chance to check out any of the hive stuff yet, but um, I have been able to see a bit of it. Not all of it. I, I do want to get some time, but as you can appreciate, we're doing 
uh, being a new member of staff and, and having to get up to speed with a lot of the modules, new modules that uh, are on at Falmouth. I haven't had a lot of time. I have looked at some of the Hive stuff because I've posted it up onto the Discord channel as well, which you've seen. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's an invaluable resource. Uh, and, you know, uh, I can understand some of the uh, visual effects uh, houses in the uh, game development studios. Uh, uh, not diving in fully because of the level of complexity that that piece of software goes to. I mean, uh, I mean, I had a manual for when it came to Power Animator, and, and you could probably—I think I've given you this analogy before—you could probably stack twenty of those manuals on top of one another, and that would be Houdini. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, you yeah. probably you probably get up to the ceiling uh, with manuals that of the amount of. Um, uh, packages that you could deal with in going into into Houdini. Uh, so you'll find that there's a lot of people out there that will just stay, stay in uh, with doing uh, procedural modeling, or you'll find people that just do uh, work in uh, the particle system, or you'll find some uh, uh, people that are specialist in using Vellum, or mm. people that are, uh, are specialists with just using the fluid system in, in, in Houdini. They, they, they know of the other areas, but they, because of the, the detail and, and the level of complexity, uh, uh, it's too big a program to know everything about. And there's, you, you're only using about what, 80% uh, of the software in that, that one, one area that you're using. <laughs> yeah, it's actually crazy. It's so, and it's well, the thing I find most fascinating is there's, there's like, there's one way to do a thing in, in, in Maya, right? But there's like, yep. there's one way to do a thing in Houdini and then you watch 10 different tutorials and it's like, everyone's doing this slightly differently and it's all working very yep. much the same way in the end. It's like, it, it's, it's, it's kind of like a, a beautiful Gordian knot that's like, yep. there's so much complexity and intensity, but really if you start breaking it down into just like, what am I trying to achieve with this specific thing? You can, I don't know, I found it's quite, it's not too hard to like start working towards something and then like maybe find a resource to help you out. And it's, it's some of it's really not that well documented yet. Um, yes. Yes. Because I, I've been, yeah, I've been trying to find out how to get uh, that animations into uh, unity. And it's just, yeah. the, the main problem is I'm not, I'm, I'm trying to do it for different teams VFX. So it's, uh -huh. it's one team is using high definition render pipeline. Another team is using no render pipeline is just using shader forge. And it's like, okay, yeah. well, <laughs> there's no consistency. So even if I do find advice for the questions I posed a week ago, it's like, well, now I'm on a different engine. So it's, uh, yeah. Unity has really fractured their shader language at the moment. Yeah, and it's, yeah, uh, yeah. it's a bit of a nightmare. I'm looking forward well, to working on real a bit more. Trying well, to that, well, that's really that. good. That's a really good, uh, analogy. Uh, well, because, uh, Max is, is pretty old school. You're about, you've, you've only got a certain number of uh, pipelines that you can follow with Max, and you're about three clicks away with that and using in Max. People that go from Max and go into Maya, they never go back to, to using Max once they've gone into Maya. There's always three approaches that you can use in Maya. There's not just one way mm. in using uh, Maya, but the actual interface of Maya is, is, is second to none. The flow uh, of where you can go around and utilize the functionality in Maya is really is really quite exceptional, and they're probably going to be up for another uh, 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 redesign pretty shortly as well because they're coming up to a to another twenty 
20 ver 20th version of, of Maya now. So it's pretty, pretty much up for another rewrite, I would say. And then you've got Houdini and because of the procedural uh, nature of that, that piece of software, you're pretty much not far off from scripting and scripting is probably the most, uh, complex but controllable area of, of generating 3d 3d assets and, and cg uh, work that you can get and but from an artist's point of view if you, if you told any artist that they need to learn scripting they'd run a mile but because of the interfaces of this these software um houdini's the closest thing that an artist could get coming to, to scripting uh, and getting to that level of control because everything's uh, controllable in, in Houdini. Mm. And to a certain extent, you've got a little of a bit of that from the interface with uh, Maya because everything in, in Maya is is controllable, is keyable. Uh, so you so you can do so to a lesser degree uh, that in Maya. But and they are releasing nodes for Maya as well. There's a... They are bringing in, because of the competition now that Houdini is now bringing into the games development and the visual effects industry, uh, they are bring, bringing in that procedural node-based uh, uh, workflow into Maya because they can see the benefits of, of, of being able to, uh, into being allow, allowing artists to interface with that procedural uh, editor. Uh, to make sure that they they have that level of function that Houdini has, yeah, which I is do, a good thing. I do find it really funny the way that artists are absolutely terrified of anything script related or, or code based or like. No, but it's so powerful. I mean, I'm I'm an artist and and I've I understand. A, 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 I don't know all of Mel script. I I know uh, uh, some Mel script has has, has especially helped me with the particle systems in Maya. Uh, so it it is a really powerful tool. And not a lot of people know about the uh, script editor window in script editor window in Maya, but you can just literally uh, copy and paste and pull up Mel scripts and put it on, onto a custom shelf once you've gone in and done a lot of the interface work uh, using the functions in Maya. So there is the uh, learning just from doing that in Maya uh, with script work. So uh, you need to look into it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've had a, um, see i for third year we didn't have a programmer going in so i was like well we'll make a simple game and i'll program in it so i spent like the whole summer learning different right well, i learned godot uh or godot because yeah. it has uh quite simple scripting language to start and then so when i moved into U unity um it was it's really funny because i find that art is like very opposite on the satisfaction curve to to script because when you're when you're making like a traditional 2d piece of artwork or something you st i find that often i'll start out and i'll and i'll do my rough pass and i'm like oh oh i'm really satisfied like sometimes I'm, sometimes it doesn't work at all all day but like sometimes i'll sit down and i'll be like oh that looks really great and it's like primitive form and then you spend the next 80 percent of the time working on it hating it more and more as you're trying to nitpick it down to the grittiest little detail when you're finished often it's just like an <laughs> abandonment right you're like oh i can't do this anymore i'm done with it there you go that's finished now whereas i find with script it's more like you spend all of your frustrations for the first 80 percent of the time going why is this not working why is this not working and then you like put one semicolon in and you're like oh it works and then you just like run around the studio with your hands above your head like i'm a genius and it's just like the the gratification is like completely opposite with both of those like fields but i don't know i find that scripting when you get it right there's no feeling quite like working on something for an hour and then just like 
putting in the right bit and just oh it works exactly how it's supposed to it's extremely satisfying no it's good uh, it's good really good yeah you, you've got to keep that up though will you oh yeah yeah i mean it's um it's something i think i mean nate said it the other day to me that um like nate bedford just for audience listeners he's been on the podcast but uh he was saying that like he feels like my like my t-shapedness is very broad but is not very deep and like he's kind of suffering from the opposite problem where his t-shapedness is very like deep but it doesn't go very wide and so it's like uh like i feel like while i i mean i'm, I'm i can't i can't not fiddle around and play with new things and do game jams all the time which forces you to learn stuff about the whole uh the whole pipeline but um but yeah i think i just need to sort of focus down and be a bit more specific about where i'm going with my like specialization because right now i'm not super valuable in any field i don't think which is you know yeah but you will do don't forget you're just at the early starts of that in you in your career path yeah 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 And, and 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 you shouldn't be too hard on yourself because you've, you've still got a lot of learning learning to do. Even on, uh, even you think that just because you're a third year on the course that you're getting to that professional stage. But when once you get into that development role, the amount of learning that you'll get just from that commercial experience will 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 launch you again. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. And then you'll look at this back at this time, going, oh wow that really set me up well well for this because look look how far i'm i'm i'm, I'm learning now yeah mm. so you've, you've you've not to be too hard on yourself from that because it this is like a, a stepping stone and uh the, the next stepping stone you you'll you'll grow even even more from from the amount of learning that you'll do in, in that commercial environment yeah i mean for me it's just it's just fun like i just really enjoy taking an interest in a different part of the the pipeline and it's also it's i i love game jamming so it's you have to be able to do audio and a little bit of scripting and okay well the guy who normally does the design isn't online on discord this morning so i guess we'll have to figure this out on our own like it's really yeah it's really like a joyous event to do something like a game jam for me anyway and so it's like i I take the, the 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 natural interest in it and and develop it in that way, and it's just like staying true to the focus of like getting a job as a VFX artist, so I can get that in-house experience and I can get that uh, that growth. Yeah, and you will, and you yeah. will. But that but that's the great thing about this job and the great thing about this industry is that you get paid to play. Yeah, <laughs> they yeah. pay you to do this stuff, and the thing is, is that. Uh, because of your interest and because of your dedica- dedication and you're wanting to learn, you're wanting to get things better, you, they'll pay you to do do that, yeah? Yeah, I look and at that, companies like Sumo Digital and, and Bosa and stuff and they like have active company-wide game jams that are like paid yeah. and, and encouraged. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, but that's great. But that's what the company needs. That's what the industry needs to do mm. uh, as well to make sure that they're maintaining and, and developing and pushing the boundaries of the media and pushing the boundaries of, of uh, entertainment uh, to make sure it, 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 it keeps that level of interest. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think uh, we've been going for about an hour now. So I think uh, if, if, you're, uh, if you're happy to wrap up, uh, it might sure. be a good time. I yep. uh, just want to say thank you so much for taking an hour out of your Saturday to uh, to have a chat with me. It's been uh, it's been really really uh, interesting. I feel like we've barely scratched the surface, so I think we'll uh, <laughs> we'll have to we'll have to do another one. <laughs> okay. 
no problem. Well, I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope that uh, uh, it, everybody likes it. And uh, thank you very much for spending uh, uh, talking to me, really. Oh, it's been great, AD. I, uh, like I say, we'll, we'll do another one. Okay, no All problem. Right. See you later, weekend, everyone. Then. Cheers now. All bye. right, bye.